Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is about holistic psychotherapy and healing our past in order to heal our future. On this show, we'll be featuring our guest, Heather Monroe. Heather Monroe is an integrative psychotherapist who specializes in the healing of relational trauma. Through her extensive training and work in clinical and experiential modalities, Heather guides clients through a holistic and transformative process. Her approach to helping people is creative, open, and flexible, as she understands that just as the context of trauma is individual, so is the process of healing. Heather is also a certified Kundalini yoga teacher, as well as a student of Peter Levine's somatic experiencing training, both of which have given her a deep understanding of the body and how trauma is held and released through it. Super excited to have Heather on the show today, and Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So can you tell us, for those who don't know, what actually is intuitive psychotherapy? So integrative psychotherapy, but I can talk about intuitive too, if you'd like. Um, Intuitive psychotherapy would be when you're with a psychotherapist who is open to the energy in the room and where you need to go in your healing. So as an intuitive psychotherapist, I'm relying on my innate knowledge and also my intuition as where you need to go, what you need to heal from, and how I can guide you in that process. And integrative psychotherapy is using different modalities. So like not just using cognitive behavioral therapy or like a certain type of therapy to help someone heal, but using a bunch of different ones in order to be as um, individualized as possible. And Heather, you talk a lot about healing our past to heal our present. Um, I'm curious, you know, how, how do you approach uh, each patient when you look at them, you know, in terms of their past? I think a lot of us still have a lot of maybe childhood trauma and intergenerational trauma. And so I'm really curious how you're able to find that and also heal it. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that all healing is rooted in awareness. And so a part of the first part of a healing process is understanding where we come from and why we do the things we do, why we think the way we think and why we feel the way we feel. Um, It's impossible to be alive in this world in today's age um, or just to be alive as a human being and not be traumatized in some way. Um, And so furthermore, I think that what, what makes us human beings is the human experience. We're never going to do things perfectly as parents. And there's a lot of intergenerational trauma and pain that gets passed down through the ages. And so when someone comes to see me, All their trauma shows up in the present moment because we are living, many of us, most of us, um, we live our present through the lens of the past. It's an autopilot response. So things and experiences that happened to us that that caused us grave amount of, of pain and that when that pain happened, especially in childhood, we start to view the world, ourselves, and people in a certain way, in a certain mentality, right? So 
we go through life and we grow up trying to, um, we grow up continuing those perceptions and actually seeing our present and seeing the people in, in the present moment through the lens of that heartbreak that we had as children. And so in order to heal ourselves in the present moment, we have to become super aware, super conscious of our perceptions, our feelings, and our trauma reactions to things. And that way we can clear them out and see our future through a clear lens instead of the lens of the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was beautifully articulated. Thank you. And I'm so curious how the awareness piece, knowing what triggers us and what, um, Mm. you know, what shakes us up, especially as adults, like why we're still stuck in these frames from childhood. How do you heal just knowing or being aware of these triggers? Like, is there more pieces to the puzzle, like what what sort of is the next step after you become aware? Because I, I find that a lot of people have said, you know, now that I've gone to therapy or that I've dissected, you know, my life, I'm aware, but, you know, these things still uh, affect me. Uh, it's such a great question because I feel like that is just the beginning, right? Awareness. So, so now we know why we do the things that we do. And like, we have all, we've connected the dots and that I believe, I believe that that's the first stage of therapy, but the second stage is going to be slowing down the present moment. And what I mean by that is becoming aware of your body. So the body has so much information to give us. So let's say that you have anxiety and you understand where that anxiety comes from and the triggers of those of that anxiety. However, until you are able to become aware of your body enough to the point where you understand the subtleties of that anxiety, how it shows up in your body, feel it coming on, understand the thoughts that might trigger that, and then have interventions on how to help heal that anxiety, you're just in trauma reaction, even though you're not, you you know that you are, you know, you, you understand where it's coming from, but you don't know what to do about it. So the second half of, you know, a huge part of therapy that I, that I think people miss out on is working with their bodies to understand the information that our bodies are trying to tell us through the physiological sensations. Then once we understand the physiological sensations of the body, we start to use those interventions there's so many different ones, but start to use really science-backed interventions around rewiring our brains and our consciousness. And I can go into that a little bit more if if you'd like. Absolutely. Actually, I'd love for you to spend some time uh, talking us through that next step. Because I think for a lot of people who are aware, you know, they're, they're just sort of at a loss and maybe even frozen in this yeah. fight or flight response when a trigger comes yes. up. So I'm, yeah, very curious if you could share at least some tips or even philosophies. Yeah. So the first thing that I get my clients to get really practiced at is mindfulness. And I know that that is such a loaded word. <laughs> you either, <laughs> like sometimes you hear it, you just shut down. You're like, oh God, mindfulness. But it can mean so many things. And how I see mindfulness is just a concise focus on the present moment. So, so when I talk about a mindfulness practice and I do this with my clients in session and, and give them homework as well, 
we have to slow the brain down. We know now, I mean, science has caught up to uh, what, you know, yogis and other people have been doing for thousands of years, which is there is something that happens when we sit still with our thoughts, whether it's a guided meditation, mantra work, yoga, uh, creative flow, bringing our brain waves from high beta to alpha into that creative flow and into the subconscious. When we can bring ourselves into the subconscious state, we are able to see that our thoughts, one, are just thoughts. They don't really mean anything, right? We can start to see our thought patterns, and we can also see how thoughts aren't facts. And once that really becomes ingrained in us, that realization that thoughts actually aren't facts at all, they're just our interpretation of a very long, not needed narrative anymore, we can start to have more power on dropping them, dropping the thoughts that don't serve us. The other thing that we can do in a mindfulness practice is go into reprogramming our thoughts. So this can happen through like subtle hypnosis where we get into a mindfulness state, right? And I, we do a guided meditation. I see that a client has dropped down and then we can do affirmations. You know, we can do things through seeing your life as, as, as you would like to see it. You know, how do you imagine your future in your most ideal life? And then the other thing that, that happens in therapy that is a next step to changing your life is is having behaviors change even before the thoughts change. So not waiting for something to happen to you to change yourself, but actually acting as if it's already happened. That is a science-backed way of rewiring the brain as well. Uh, wow, Heather, can, can you talk a little bit more about that last point? How, like, what's an example of uh, someone who can behave, you know, in a way that, you know, foreshadow yeah. something that's, that hasn't quite happened? Because I imagine that's quite hard for some people. Yes. Okay. So, so we have to start with little bits, right? It's, it's got it. So one way that I love working with people is through their boundary systems because our boundaries and what we have, uh, the boundaries that we have or don't have tell us so much about ourselves. So let's say that you want to live with integrity and follow your intuition and be able to follow your intuition. So if we were going to start with the boundary system, let's say that you tend to let people walk all over you or you're not good at stating your boundaries, right? So what we would do is we would start with a safe person, right? We would think about boundaries. First, you need to, you need to understand what your boundaries are. So we would come up with what your boundaries are. Then we would also examine the body. What does it feel like when a boundary has been violated? So we would figure out what that feels like in your body. And then you would start to practice stating your boundaries or telling someone if a boundary was violated. So that's the behavior, right? And the behavior takes an immense amount of courage, especially for someone who tends to be boundary-less. So when we practice having boundaries and practice just simple physical boundaries, let's say an example would be you don't feel comfortable with people hugging you in, in the coronavirus era, you know, but you let people hug you all the time because you feel like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings, something like that. So the homework would be and the practice would be 
how you can state that boundary and deal with the uncomfortableness, sit in the uncomfortableness of what it brings up after you state the boundary. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That just blew my mind. (laughs) For a lot of people, it might blow their mind as well. I mean, that's uh, a really powerful point. Because boundaries keep us from being victims, right? Right. And so boundaries, they they make us have a sense of inherent self-worth. And how we build self-esteem is keeping ourselves from being victims and also containing ourselves so that we don't offend others. So that is a great way. Boundary systems are a great way to start building confidence in yourself and your ability to to protect yourself. And can you take that too far, Heather? For example, um, you know, for someone that maybe was walked all over and then started developing really strong boundaries, at what point do we you know, start to kind of build a moat around us and not let people in? Such a good question. So the the other side of the same coin, right, is being boundary full. Those are the people that they are protected but not connected. They build these walls around themselves because usually they were so abandoned as children by their caretakers that they had to just learn how to to depend on themselves or as a reaction to that later. Yeah, no, that, that is what it is that they were so abandoned by their caretakers emotionally that they had to start protecting themselves. So with a boundary full person, the work is going to be, um, not with stating your boundaries cause you're really good at that to, as a matter of fact, people who are boundary full, we don't let other people's feelings affect us. Other people's thoughts affect us. And so we're super protected in that sense. However, we're not connected. So the work with a boundary full person would be working on connection, working on how do you connect and how do you let people's thoughts into your life and people's feelings into your life so that you can have intimacy. That's so interesting. And I, and and I think we probably um, move along the spectrum, you know, with different people, right? Like certain people, (laughs) certain triggers within us and I could just sit with those the last two statements that you made for a good couple hours <laughs> in my own life. So I'm I'm really appreciative. Thank you. Um, you have courses in developing gratitude. Can you tell me why you decided to create that course specifically? And I know you're uh, planning to work on some other courses. So I'm just curious, you know, why why focus on gratitude? And I'm sure that you know, as a uh, a practitioner, you see a lot of different themes emerge over the years from what people are going through. So I'm I'm just curious, you know, what are some themes, and then why did you develop a gratitude course? Yeah, so a couple of themes that I see as uh, with 15 years of experience is um, trauma, which is why I specialize in it is that, you know, everyone has something that's happened to them, at least one thing that's happened to them that has affected the way that they can connect with other people themselves and the world around them. And as, as humans, we're hardwired for connection physiologically. It's actually one of the, the signs of optimal well-being is connection. So when something, when a trauma happens or an injury, right, which is how I describe trauma, when an injury happens, it fragments us off from that connection. And it's important for us to heal that so that we can be optimally connected in our lives. So trauma is one big thing. And the other thing that I see is attachment. The way that we attach to people 
as a result of our childhoods um, or how we insecurely attach to people. I find that uh, many of us struggle with attachment and attachment styles. We either have a really anxious attachment style where um, we're scared that people are going to abandon us and leave us. So we tend to cling to people, even though they're causing us harm emotionally um, or even physically. Or we can have an insecure attachment of avoidance where we are super independent, an island onto ourselves. We're boundary full. We tend to have a greater than self-esteem, whereas anxious people have a less than self-esteem. And avoidant people are inherently lonely because they have a hard time with intimacy. So there's a real void in connection, right? And then there's disorganized attachment where you come from a family where there was abuse and chaos. Your attachment style is both anxious and avoidant, all mixed into one. And then there's, you know, there's all things in between. So So with the attachment styles and with trauma, what I found in my own practice was there was all this research, there's all this research coming out around gratitude and how incredibly powerful it is at rewiring our brains. So the most amazing thing about the human brain is we used to think that it was done developing at like 26 or so. Now science shows us that it's never done developing, that we can always rewire our brain. We can always throw down new neuropathways. So that's incredibly exciting for me as a clinician. And so the science shows that gratitude is an incredible way to start rewiring your brain. And so I started practicing gratitude on um, a daily basis with different interventions of gratitude. And not only did it start changing my life, what I found is if you apply gratitude to things that you want in the future, so things that you see yourself having or things that you desire or goals that you have, and in a very prescribed way, start giving thanks and imagining that life through the lens and elevated emotion of gratitude, things begin to happen faster towards that goal. And so I wanted to share that with people the actual um, science of manifestation, quantum physics, law of attraction, and then the component of putting gratitude to the law of quantum physics and how rapid things develop through that. And Heather, on the uh, gratitude piece, how long do you have to sit in gratitude? Is there like a, a suggested time frame? Is it when you wake up and when you go to bed? What, what's sort of the... Uh, the practice that you do? So um, it's always great either to do like a meditative practice of gratitude, either before you, I mean, right when you wake up or before you go to sleep. However, it doesn't matter. Um, It actually, those would be optimal because you're coming off of um, a certain sleep pattern. So your brain waves are actually more in the subconscious during those times during the day. However, you can get your, your brainwaves down into the alpha state um, within any time in the day. It's just a tiny bit more difficult, although for some people it might be totally easy and fine. So either, you know, when you wake up, before you go to sleep, um, 10 to 15 minutes is more is, is enough time to actually start changing 
um, changing the brain and really seeing real results in your mental health. Wow. Fascinating, Heather. I have so many follow-up questions, but uh, I actually have so many questions in general. So (laughs) I want to make sure that I can ask you a few more. Um, So I'm curious about what sort of things have surprised you in this journey. Um, I wouldn't. Okay. So I, uh, I wouldn't say they've surprised me, but, um, I guess I wouldn't say it surprises me, but it's always just kind of there is my own healing journey. Just like every other human beings is because I'm deep in shadow work and looking at my own shadows, I always have deep reverence for shadows and for pain and how they show up time and time again in our life. No matter where you are in your healing, there's always more to to conquer and more around, especially relational trauma, like around trauma that happened to us as children, that's interwoven into our beings, um, generational trauma, things of that nature. And I'm also always amazed at how being conscious in the present moment with ourselves, like loving ourselves enough to be conscious is one of the fastest healing modalities that I've seen because so much of our daily life, we go unconscious. It's actually like how our brain is wired. You know, 95% of our brain is unconscious, 95% of our brain is unconscious and 5% is conscious. And that's so that we can do lots of different things without thinking, oh, I'm going to raise my hand right now and now I'm going to move my leg. So it's for our survival. Um, But when we can take that consciousness and expand it into the things that we want to heal from, uh, at first it's really hard and exhausting, But just bringing consciousness to shame, consciousness to anger, consciousness to sadness, like just bringing real consciousness to it, real awareness to it, it dissipates. And I find that amazing. And and I find that that is not taught to us enough. Mm, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Presence and being grounded and being embodied. I I find that also most people are in the past or in the future, but they're not. Yes. Uh, Someone uh, once called called them floaters. People are just like floating. (laughs) Not not totally. We're just in this narrative. (laughs) And and then if we look at it like through everything's a narrative, there is a really great chance that we are not seeing our partners and the people that we find that we are clo- in closest proximity to, that we are not seeing them for who they truly are. We are seeing them through the lens of this narrative of who we are and what people are about and all these different things. So when we can change the narrative, we change our life and our relationships. Heather, if Let's say, you know, the work, someone does the work that you suggested and becomes very embodied and very present. Uh, But if we live in a world where many people are not embodied and present, there's still a level of disconnection. And I say this, you know, from my own personal life where I meditate every day, you know, of course I've got my own set of things to work on continuously, but I find that if I'm grounded and another person is not grounded that I'm talking to, it feels really lonely and feels disconnected. So just curious if you have any thoughts or tools on that, or if you've come across that, because I think we could do the work ourselves. Maybe the larger question is if we do the work ourselves, it still means that other people, you know, may not 
meet us at our level of consciousness. So how do we deal with that? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I love how you described it too. I love how you described it. Like there's a loneliness there. You know what I mean? When you come across somebody who, who is ungrounded or, um, or just unconscious or, or what, or whatever it is. Um, so what I found is a couple of things. Um, like, one is identifying how I feel when I'm with someone who I find ungrounded or might not hold the same values and things like that. And just like even someone, let's say with like a greater than self-esteem. So I usually walk away from someone who has a greater than self-esteem feeling like less than and a little bit devalued, even though they haven't said anything that would, you know, devalue me. It's almost the energy so I can walk away feeling just like, yeah, not great about myself. Um, so one is I bring awareness to that feeling and I always bring awareness through curiosity. Like, huh, isn't that interesting? I feel horrible <laughs> after that conversation. <laughs> what is, what's my part around that? Right. So my part is I was obviously triggered in some way, but then the other thing is acknowledging when I walk away from a conversation with someone where it feels inclusive, I feel stimulated emotionally. I feel like included that there was a neutrality to it. There was a back and forth, all of that stuff and how that feels in my body. And then I try and make my support system feel like that, like surround myself with people who in my support system make me feel like that. Because you're right. When we go out into the world, we are going to feel all sorts of crazy emotions and all that stuff. And I also think that it is not our job as human beings. And some people might disagree with me. It, maybe if you're working on enlightenment, it, you know, it's a different thing, but I don't believe that it's our jobs as spiritual beings who have come down into the human experience to not be human. And to be human is to be messy. And to be human is to feel all the feels, like <laughs> not just the great and the connected feelings, but also the delusion and illusion of separateness. It's also to feel that. And when we feel that, to bring it back to connection. Mm, beautiful. Wow. Uh, I have a lot of things to think about after this conversation. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Wow. Seriously. I, I love you treat it. what you know. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, I call it, uh, for me, I feel a sense of expansion or contraction when I'm around certain people. Um, yes. but you know, and then, but then you might, I, I don't know if other people feel, feel this way, but then, you know, I, I kind of, you know, get ashamed that I might feel, what's the word, uh, spiritually superior, you know, in any way, shape or form mm -hmm. makes me feel so frustrated because I know that that's not true. Right. But, um, and so it's interesting, like, how do you stay balanced? How do you stay open? Oh, one of the tricks that I have, and I just, I, I just discovered this and it has been amazing for me is, um, so self-esteem that better than or less than self-esteem that can, that can also creep in with spirituality. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I feel less than I'm devaluing myself in order for that person to be better than me and in order for me. And when I feel greater than I'm devaluing the other human 
in order to feel greater than them. And so when I catch myself, um, and, and another thing is when I feel less than, and I want to feel on par with someone and I'm coming from a less than place, I have to devalue them in order to build myself up. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I've caught myself doing that, right? Where either I feel greater than and devalue them or I'm devaluing them because I want to feel as good as them. And I literally stop myself. I bring awareness to it. Like I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that <laughs> thing. And I remind myself that my inherent worth is no better and no less than anyone else's inherent worth. And that there is enough to go around because thinking I'm better than or less than is coming from a place of lack. Does that make like that it's coming from some place of lack? Like you need to get up to my level because there isn't an, you know, because we, there isn't enough or I'm so much below this person because there isn't enough. Yeah. It's a, it's a, probably a mechanism of us playing in this like zero sum game capitalistic reality where, you know, there is a winner takes all, philosophy that, yeah. that we, we were, were ingrained in, but it's not real, right? It's, uh, yeah. And, and also that delusion of separateness, which I think that we developed through that primitive instinct of survival. It's like, there has to be us versus them in order to survive. So we have to make a them, we have to make an other, but I believe that we have surpassed that mode of survival and that we are being called to a higher consciousness where it's not us versus them. It's all of us. So there's no need, but we're going against a very primitive instinct. I think that we're wired towards as humans. Yeah. So, so much work, uh, I think for all, for the collective to, to do on this point, but that, that was so beautifully articulated. I'm going to always use that narrative. I think when it creeps up in my mind, I'm going to use the, or at least bring awareness to less than greater than, because I just, yeah, super valuable and informative and helpful. Um, you've got me speechless, Heather. I'm usually not speechless. <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> I know. I can. I literally sometimes say stuff that I know that I know or I've learned, and I'm like, oh man, I gotta damn. I can't think on that for a second. Well, I can't wait for others to hear this because I, I think it's just incredibly valuable, um, for all of us. And I do, I also, I also do, um, free webinars once a month that talk about all these things like self-esteem boundaries. I just did one two days ago on boundaries. Um, like just to talk about this kind of stuff, you know, for all of us. Wow. And we can subscribe at, uh, what's your website is monroewellness.com. Yep. If you subscribe to the newsletter, I, um, will let you know about all the free webinars. Um, also like meditation challenges with me with like certain, um, like if we'll do a 10 day gratitude meditation challenge, you know, things like that for free as well. Wow. Amazing. Um, so Monroe wellness for those who are listening, uh, M O N R O E wellness.com. We'll put it in the show notes, of course. So I'm curious, maybe the last couple questions. Um, how did you become Heather Monroe? Can you tell us about your journey? Like, how did you decide that this was your path? Like what was the, was there a catalyst or was it just kind of a slow evolution? So I knew from a very young age that I wanted to help people, but there was a 
lot of pain and trauma that I had to experience and then heal from before I got to that place. So where my trauma took me was addiction, um, for 11 years. Um, and you know, what all that brings, as you can imagine, as well as mental health disorders, uh, severe depression, um, cutting, you know, eat disordered eating. I would, I wouldn't say I ever had like an actual eating disorder, um, but definitely disordered eating. And I would say that, um, the journey began, I was in PR in the fashion industry. So I was all up in that world of like, you know, glamour and all that stuff in New York city. And, you know, and, um, and I was, I finally checked myself into rehab at 25. And then for a year I was relapsing out of rehab. Um, and, uh, there came a day where I was sitting outside of the museum of natural history and I was really high. Um, and I started crying because I knew that I was at the end of my road. Like I was miserable when I was high and I was miserable when I was sober. And I knew that if something didn't change, I was going to die. Like I was either going to commit suicide sober. Or I was going to overdose, um, getting high. And I knew this with like every fiber of my body. And I was terrified. And, um, in that moment, I must have said like a help me, you know, just like threw it out there, like help me. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, everything felt like it stopped, like, uh, like the world just like the city just stopped. And I felt this light come down like directly at me onto me. And I heard a voice say, you don't have to live like this anymore. And in that moment, the obsession of addiction was literally, it felt like it was, it was pulled out of my brain. And I threw my drugs out and that was it. I mean, I have never gone back to, you know, drugs again. Um, and so that was the beginning. After that, I had already said that I, um, I had already signed up to be a social worker to go to grad school. And so I started grad school like three days sober, <laughs> <Just> like twitching. <laughs> the entire time. And, uh, and then it was like, it was perfect. Cause I had people I was responsible for to show up for. And I got through that. And then I worked as, yeah, I, I worked in the addiction field for a while. Then I worked in the prevention field for a while, you know, still healing tremendously from like love addiction, from toxic relationship, like all that other stuff that pops out up once you put the drugs down from my own sexual trauma, you know, as, as a young girl. So all of this, but each, each layer where I healed, and especially in my thirties, when I picked up a meditation practice at 30 years old, so it's been 10 years now and, and experienced radical healing and different modalities of radical healing and getting more in touch with the body. It just all started evolving. Um, and what I learned is that the more I heal, the more I'm able to be effective in other people's healing. So I am like constantly healing. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a pretty like, I can't, it's like, I'm an uncomfortable person. I tend to be like in the sense that I'm always kind of looking at what needs to be shifted in me and what needs to bring awareness and consciousness um, so that I can ultimately be a force of inspiration to other people who want to do the same thing on whatever level that is. Hmm, wow. Heather, thank you so much for sharing 
this, you know, very vulnerable, uh, uh, story and journey that you've been on. And, and I love that you're in this, uh, constant, you know, uh, self evolution, uh, space. I think many people think that, you know, you'll always, once you've gone down this path of healing that you'll get to like some end destination, like, you know, and it's just like, it's so funny because when (laughs) people tell me like, how are you so, you know, calm or how are you, how are you so uh, conscious or whatever it is? How are you so um, not anxious this year? People have said, mm. and it's like, you know, we've all got our own stuff that we're dealing with and we're, and we're working through. And, and it's funny. It's like, it's like kind of like a whack-a-mole I say like, yeah, like you might like find, yes. you know, one is going down, but then like another thing pops up and you're like, it just, you're constantly unraveling things that, uh, that, you need to work on. And it's just this never ending journey, but it gets easier, right? It gets more manageable. Yes. That's the the way I've said, as I said, uh, told people, it just gets uh, easier over time. So it's so true. It's like, it just gets easier being human, the more you accept it and work at it. And yeah, and don't give in to, to the trauma reactions that are so easy to give into. And I think also just having a sense of a higher purpose, you know, I think you've articulated yours very well, which is that you want to continue growing and healing so that you could be an inspiration for others and an example for others who might think, you know, what's the point? Uh, what am I doing yeah. here? Why, why does it matter? Um, but, you know, it's, we've all, I think, I think once you get to rock bottom, you know, the only way you can move is up. So, but it does take a level of courage. So... Um, Heather, last question. Do you have any books or resources that you can recommend our audience to read or check out? Um, and also where people can find you. I know we, we mentioned the website, but, uh, any other social media and, uh, tags? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me, um, my social media handle is Monroe Wellness. Um, so easy enough. Website is MonroeWellness.com. Um, I give a talk, a lecture or webinar every Tuesday night to the Recovery 2.0 community. Um, and if you go to wwwr 2 and then backslash join, you can, if you become a member, so that's a subscription base. Um, but if you are interested and become a member of that, you can see uh, a, a webinar of mine every Tuesday night live. Um, and, uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that's it. As far as books, there's so many, oh gosh, like, what do I even say that, um, I'm actually on my Instagram. I sometimes post like top reads and I'll give you a link to, on how to buy that. But I would say just off the bat, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk is unbelievable. Um, anything by Peter Levine, who's a mentor of mine, um, is just amazing. Peter Levine, and who else? I would also say um, Pia Melody is a wonderful resource for healing as well. Amazing. The Body Keeps a Score. That's an incredible book. I completely agree. Right? <laughs> yes. So good. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have the author on the show too at some point. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I learned so much from this conversation. I'm so excited that we're sharing this information with the, the world. And I'm excited for people to find you and stay in touch with your mind. Really, like what you're pushing out in this world is is really, you know, innovative and very helpful in so many capacities. So grateful that you exist and you're just a beautiful human. So thank you so much for being on the show. 
My gosh, you too, Yasmin. Thank you so much. (laughs) And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. You can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again.